0: Good morning. My name is Randy Lynn Johnson. The Old Testament reading this morning is Deuteronomy 29 10 through 13. Right now all of you are in the presence of the Lord your God, the leaders of your tribes, your elders, and your officials, all the Israelite males, your children, your wives, and the immigrants who live with you in your camp, the ones who chop your wood, and those who draw your water, ready to enter into the Lord your God's covenant. And into the agreement that the Lord your God is making with you right now. That means the Lord will make you his own people right now. And he will be your God just as he promised you. And just as he swore to our ancestors, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The word of the Lord. The New Testament reading is Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. You are saved by God's grace because of your faith. This salvation is God's gift. It's not something you possessed. It's not something you did that you can be proud of. Instead, we are God's accomplishment, created in Christ Jesus to do good things. God planned for these things, these good things, to be the way that we live our lives. The word of the Lord. If you are able, please stand with me for the gospel reading this morning from John seventeen twenty through 23. I'm not praying only for them, but also for those who believe in me because of their word. I pray they will be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. I pray that they also will be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me so that they can be one just as we are one. I'm in them and you are in me so that they will be made perfectly one. Then the world will know that you sent me and that you have loved them just as you loved me. The gospel of the Lord.
1: Please remain standing with me as we pray this morning. Gracious Father, we come before you this morning, those who have been made your people and those who are in the presence of our God. And we pray that this morning as we begin this year afresh, we begin this year anew, that you would once again give us ears to hear the God who is constantly speaking to us. And would your words not fall on deaf ears, but would you help us to hear, to understand, to know. Would you open our minds to understand? And would you open our hearts to receive your love and to be carriers of your love into the world so that that prayer that Jesus prayed might come true, that the whole world might know that you sent your son into this world to die, to be raised again, to bring eternal life and new heavens and new earth to all. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name and all God's people said Amen. You may be seated. It's good to see you this morning. Those of you who are in the room, those of you who are online, we love you. We miss you. We hope that you are doing well. Happy 10th day of Christmas. This is that season, you know, where there's that song, the 12 days of Christmas, and sometimes people think it's the 12 days leading up to Christmas, but it's actually a 12-day celebration starting on December 25th. Uh, So we start December 25th, and for 12 days, we get to celebrate the birth of Jesus, and then that ends on January 6th, With Epiphany. So, this Wednesday is Epiphany. It's the day that we celebrate uh, the wise men coming and bringing their gifts to Jesus and really celebrating that Jesus has been revealed as not only the Messiah of Israel, but the Savior of the entire world. So, we're celebrating all of that as the people of God while also celebrating a new year. So, happy new year, everyone. Our Christian year actually began back in Advent, but a new calendar year has begun, and I've thought over and over again about the last, the last couple of days about that Counting Crows song uh, from their second album. It's, there's a song called Long December. Anybody heard this song? Yeah, there's a few of you. I think all of 2020 could be described as a long December, That's, but there's a line in this that says there's reasons to believe that maybe this year will be better than the last. I don't think it would take much. So it's like just slight reasons to believe. But the new year comes this sort of renewed anticipation, this renewed optimism. Oftentimes, when January comes around, we feel this sense of maybe some renewed hope or maybe a new resolve, kind of in us. Like, no, we're going to do this differently. We're going to do this thing. It didn't work out for us last year the way that we wanted it to, but by golly, this year we're going to have this new resolution. But maybe this year it's a bit more tempered, if we're honest. like As we think about uh, last year, if we go back to January 1st, 2020, and thinking about all of the maybe hope and optimism that we had about beginning the roaring 20s of the 2000s, and then having that really change come March of last year, And then now coming into this year, we're going, okay, yes, there's some reasons to believe. And yet we know that we've still got some winter ahead of us. I mean, there's more unknowns maybe now than what we normally have coming into a year. And yet there's still a part of us, I think, that begins to ask the questions that regardless of all the things that are happening around us and the questions that we have, who are we? who do we want to be? What do we want to do? There's still this kind of time of reflection and resolution and thinking about, all right, well, this year I want to do some things maybe a little bit differently, or there's some goals that we might set. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to share my prayer for us, for New Life Downtown. What I pray our, what I pray our life will look like in 2021, who I pray we will be and how I pray that we will live. And my prayer actually comes from an old Eucharist liturgy. It's a a prayer that surrounds the Lord's table. And it's a prayer that I often pray on Sunday mornings when I'm leading us in communion. And it's from a section of the communion liturgy called the Epiclesis. And Epiclesis is just a fancy way for describing Holy Spirit, come and help us, please. Uh, It's a way of invoking. Or calling the Holy Spirit into that moment so that the table is not just this place of remembrance, but actually a place of encounter, where we recognize the Spirit at work among us. And the prayer goes this way: it says, Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here, and on these gifts of bread and wine, and make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. And then it says this, and by your spirit, and this is my prayer for us, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquets. By your spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry To all the world. This prayer actually echoes that prayer that Randy Lynn just read for us of Jesus praying in John 17 as he's in the garden facing the crucifixion. He takes some time and he prays that we would be one, that we would actually be in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit just as the Father and the Spirit and the Son are in one another. He prays that we would be one with Christ. And he says, I pray that they would be one with one another. Perfectly one is the language that he uses. And that there would be a kind of unity that we would experience with God. And that that would be reflected actually in our unity with one another. That there would be this divine intimacy that would actually spill out into sort of a communal life together that they, people would look from the outside and say, those people, they, they don't belong together in terms of they're not biologically related, they're not family, and yet somehow they're one. Something's uniting them, something's bringing them together. And then his prayer is that this would happen so that the whole world might believe that out of our unity with Christ and our unity with one another, it might spill out in such a way that we would be united in ministry to all of the world, one with Christ, one with each other and one in ministry to all the world. And the truth is, is that prayer is often unrealized in our lives. It often goes so unrealized for us. For many, I think we can say that intimacy with God seems rather elusive. That we think about having intimacy with Jesus. Think about having a sense of communion or closeness with God. And instead, sometimes we either feel that God is distant or that we're distant from him, or we feel that maybe God is indifferent to us, to our plight, to our struggles, to the things that we're going through, or we find ourselves in places where life seems to be going pretty well, and we become indifferent to God. Or there's times that we are desperately needing God to speak. We're wanting a word from God and God seems to be silent. Or at other times we realize that a long time has passed since we've uttered a word to him in prayer. And that intimacy can feel so elusive. And then when we think about community with other people, we think, well, this community idea, that sounds really great, but I think it's actually impossible. Like that, that actually... I don't think is realistic. I don't think that this can actually happen. And we maybe feel this more now than ever, that as the pandemic has created all kinds of isolation for us, and I, even as I talked to many of you this morning before the service and asking, how are your holidays? One of the more common phrases was they were lonely. Lonely. We were different. We were isolated from the people that we normally would spend that time with. And we kind of wait all year long to be able to spend time with these certain people and all of a sudden we couldn't. There's this isolation that feels like community is impossible. And if it hasn't been the isolation of the pandemic, maybe it's been the divisions by all of the social unrest that's come alongside in 2020 as well whether it's been the social divisions around the conversations around racial justice, or the conversations around politics and who voted for who and how we feel about this or that uh, as it relates to stimulus packages or transitions or any of those other things, or even the kind of responses that we've had to the pandemic and the kind of social unrest around the different responses that people have had. And we see all kinds of isolation and all kinds of division. And at times, even the followers of Jesus have been ugly to one another. there have been times in the middle of this that we have been anything but one with each other. The assumptions have been made and accusations have been handed out and people have walked away from long-term friendships and long-term communities and long-term involvement in churches all in the midst of the divisions that have either come up or been revealed in the midst of this last year and then when we think about ministry to all the world we think well gosh that just feels overwhelming that we think about all of the needs that are around us the needs feels just too great and our impact can feel just too small and can mean think like is this thing that i'm doing is this thing that i'm giving does that really matter is it really making any difference at all? I've given myself to this for this many years, or I, I gave this much of this, and I just don't see any signs that it's making a difference. And there are times even when we're like, I think it's worse. And I'm like, Man, maybe I'm the one that made it worse. I don't know. Like, it's just not happening. And there are times that we can look at all the need and feel like we just can't do it all. And so we freeze and we do nothing at all. Or there are times we look at all of the need out there and it feels so great and it feels to be encroaching in upon us. that we think, you know what I really need to do is I need to batten down the hatches and just sort of take care of me and my own. I can't even think about those things. Or there's other us that feel like, you know what, the real Christian thing to do is to actually to do it all, uh, to respond to every single need all of the time and then we wind up burned out and with nothing sort of left to give. So we face all of these challenges, yet despite all of those, this is actually the identity and the calling of the church. That we can't sort of get around this idea that we are one with Christ, and one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world. This is actually, essentially who we are. This is who we are and how we're called to live. And the New Testament is filled with all kinds of descriptions about the church in these ways. Think about this in Ephesians chapter two, right after the prayer that Evan prayed for us this morning, Paul writes this. He says, however, God is rich in mercy and he brought us to life with Christ. We've been brought to life with Christ while we were dead as a result of the things that we did wrong. And he did this because of the great love that he has for us. You are saved by God's grace. And God raised us up and seated us in the heavens with Christ. Paul is saying to the church, he's saying to us that once you were dead... But now you have already been brought to life with Christ. You have already been raised up and seated in the heavens with Christ because of God's great mercy, his rich love, his saving grace. We already are one with Christ because of what God has done. And then he goes on and he says, Christ is our peace. This is in verse 14. And he made both Jews and Gentiles into one group. With his body, he broke down the barrier of hatred that divided us. And he canceled the detailed rules of the law so he could create one new person out of the two groups making peace. He reconciled them both as one body to God on the cross, which ended hostility to God. He said, once you were Gentiles, once you were aliens, once you were strangers, once you were outsiders, once you were divided and separated, but now you've been made into one group, one person, one body because of Christ who is our peace. He shattered the barriers of hatred and division between us and he already made us One with each other. We already are one with Christ and one with each other. And then he says earlier, you are saved by God's grace because of your faith. And this salvation is God's gift. It's not something that you possessed. It's not something that you did to be proud of. Instead, we are God's accomplishment created in Christ to do good things. God planned for these good things to be the way that we lived our lives. Once we were without salvation, once we were without grace, but we have received this as the gift of God, not our own accomplishment, but his accomplishment, something done for us, not by us. And because of God's accomplishment, because of what God has done now, we've been created in Christ to do good things. To do good things to the world. This is to actually be the way that we're called to live. That our life should be a life marked by good things to others. We are one in ministry to the whole world. And so this prayer is really a prayer to become who we already are. It's a prayer to actually become who we are in Christ. That's actually what all of discipleship is. Discipleship is becoming who we already are in Christ. It's not about becoming something other than what we are. It's about actually living into the realization of all that Christ has done for us and in us and through us. It's about becoming who we already are in Christ and learning how to live in that new way. Learning, learning how to live that new identity, learning how to live as if Christ were alive in us because he is. It's not trying to achieve something or strive for something, but to actually become who we already are. And so as we begin 2021, and you're going through that process of thinking about maybe your goals or your calendars or your budgets or your resolutions or whatever process that you go through, and kind of thinking about, all right, this is what I hope or pray or want this next year to look like, I want to encourage you to consider three things along the way. Three things that I think will help us to realize who we are in Christ. Three things that will help us realize our oneness with Jesus, our oneness with each other, and our oneness in ministry to all the world. And the first is this slow down in order to be with Jesus. Consider how you might slow down in order to be with Jesus. About 20 years ago, I think it was now, that feels really weird to say, I decided one summer that I thought it would be a really good idea to learn how to skydive. Turns out, like, after a while, you run out of money in the process of, like, taking all of the lessons and those things. But I did jump out of a plane three or four times. I can't remember now. Uh, It was so long ago. But one of the things that I remember from that process of learning how to skydive is that they kept saying over and over and over again that slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Slow is smooth, and smooth is fast. See, what happens typically when you jump out of a plane is you panic. I don't know like, why they would think that that would be a natural reaction, but uh, it is. It's a little bit uh, uh, like, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. And so the tendency is, is you start to panic, and then you lose uh, your mind, and forget all the things that you're supposed to do, like pulling the parachute, So they kept saying over and over again, like, just go slow. Because you go slow and think, okay, what I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to arch my back and then I'm supposed to look down and then I'm supposed to find the handle and then I'm supposed to pull it. And if you go slow, it's actually a lot better than just go. where is this thing? And people panic and then you're missing, you know, and you're grabbing here instead of grabbing. And so they kept saying slow is smooth and smooth is fast. See, what happens is, is when we go fast, we miss things. When we go fast, we tend to miss things. I think sometimes intimacy with Christ feels so elusive to us because we're just going so fast. And we serve a God who's not in a hurry. We serve a God who is in abundant amount of patience. We serve a God who chose to become flesh and walk among us. To walk... Everywhere from his next ministry appointments to this one. A God who's content with going slow and invites us to slow down in order to be with him. For many, this was actually one of the gifts, of maybe the only gift of 2020, that there was something about 2020 in the closing of things and the staying at home where there was less time going and less time driving and less time hurrying from this appointment to this appointment or this commitment to this appointment or this commitment. for many, there's something slowed in the middle and margin kind of emerged in the midst of 2020. And I know that wasn't for everybody. I know that there are teachers in the room that that was anything but the case. There are healthcare workers that that was anything but the case this past year. Or people who suddenly found themselves with kids at home during the day and trying to work your full-time job and do homeschool or online school full-time. And it seemed like all margin dissipated at that point. But for others, margin sort of emerged. But for all of us, margin is oftentimes something we have to fight for. We have to fight for ways to slow down. And sometimes what happens for us is that when that does emerge, either it's, it's happened for us or we've created it, we slow down, but that slowing down is not intentionally given to spending time with Christ. Then instead of taking time to read and to reflect and to pray and to journal and to do those things, it becomes time for Tiger King or whatever the new Netflix you know, sort of uh, thing is, is. there's like, oh, that just feels so much easier right now. I'm gonna encourage you as you're thinking about 2021, how can you slow down in order to be with Christ? And that may be slowing down your weekends so that you can actually be at church more consistently, either in person or online. It might be slowing down your mornings or your evenings so that there becomes a space just to sit in silence and to say, come, Holy Spirit, come. To pray through the day and maybe beginning to learn the practice of Sabbath. So for many, I think what happened in 2020 is that we began to work at home, all the, the boundaries sort of between work and home disappeared. And it became hard to sort of set work aside and just to be present. And so maybe it's a kind of pushing back against the encroaching aspect of work and saying, how can I slow down and take a day? to be with Christ and to be present to the people that Christ has placed in my life because he often appears in those people. Maybe it's just slowing down and saying, All "Right at lunch, I'm gonna take a moment. I'm gonna close my eyes. I'm gonna take a breath. I'm gonna say, Jesus, you're here. How can you slow down to be with Christ? The second encouragement I want you to think about as it comes to 2021 is to stay in community with others, to stay in community with others. As we've seen throughout this, this year, and maybe as we've seen kind of throughout history, actually community is easier to leave than it is to stay into. It's easy to leave. It's easy to leave, and there's lots of reasons to leave. Sometimes we just think like, oh, community, what it should be is it should be easy and it should be fun and it should be very, very little work. That community, it should just sort of like it just show up and it happens and there are just these feelings and there's these connections and then they stay forever, and there's never awkward moments, there's never silence, and there's never disagreements, and there's never places where one person changed, or their life changed in some way, and suddenly what was easy to get together with them, now it's hard, and see, now they don't care. And that maybe wasn't community to begin with. Community's not easy, <laughs> Community is not always fun, and community takes a long time. Oftentimes, if there's uh, people in your life, you can kind of look at and say, wow, they've got these friendships that I look at and I admire. If you find out and ask enough questions, chances are that they've been together 30 or 40 years, and they had to make a lot of adjustments along the way and had to do a lot of work. Community doesn't just happen. Sometimes we think it should, and if it's not just happening, or those feelings have gone away, or it's just not as easy as it was before, then it must be the wrong community. (laughs) And then we go on to the next one and find that the same thing will happen there too. And then we go on to the next one and find that the same thing that will happen there too. And that's when it starts to begin to feel like community is impossible because we start jumping from one to the other. A community is hard and I think that's especially true for Christian community. It's especially true for church because what makes the church's community different is it's not community that's built around uniformity. It's community that's built around a unity that transcends us, a unity that we have in Jesus. You mean think of look, look, all throughout the New Testament, even as Paul was saying here in this letter, Jew and Gentile being brought together. These are two drastically different groups with drastically different ways of life and living, with drastically different customs. There are times the church, in all throughout the letters, are bringing together rich and poor and male and female and Jew and Gentile and slave and free and people who speak different languages and are from different races and ethnicities being brought together. All other community is sort of based around uniformity. Let's just get together with the people who are just like us. That community tends to be easier than this kind of community. But this is what church is. Church is finding unity in the midst of our diversity and a unity that is found in Christ, not in all having the same opinions about everything that happens within the world. But in order to do that, we're going to have to do some hard work Sometimes staying in community means checking our assumptions of going to people and saying, okay, the story I'm telling myself right now is that you no longer care about me because of this. The story that I'm telling myself is that you believe this. The story I'm telling myself is that you said this because you've actually bought into this idea or this philosophy or this theory. Is that right? Right? can you help me understand? Sometimes we have to turn to wonder, asking questions of one another rather than turning away from each other. Turn and say, hey, can you help me understand? Can you you tell me what you've been thinking? Can you tell me why this is true? Can you tell me what changed there? Can you help me understand? Community requires having hard conversations with one another. This is why we actually do our Emotionally Healthy Relationships class. Uh, for those of you who are familiar with our Emotionally Healthy Discipleship courses, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality and Emotionally Healthy Relationships, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality is about slowing down to be with Jesus. And Emotionally Healthy Relationships is how do you stay in community with one another? And that's not saying staying in, staying in a harmful community, not staying in abusive relationships, but staying when it's hard, when there's Things that you have to work through when you have to have difficult conversations. Say, okay, how, Lord, can you help us? Can, inviting Jesus into that and having those conversations. We're getting ready here in the next couple of weeks to be relaunching meal groups. We don't know what that's going to look like. <laughs> Pastor Jay's been tasked with it, wherever Pastor Jay is. And he wants to talk with people and say, hey, what could this look like in this season? If you're like, hey, I wanna stay, I wanna create community, I wanna start community, I wanna help people, talk to Pastor Jay after the service, find him in the back and say, okay, let's talk about what this could look like. Beautiful things happen when people stay at the table over the course of a long period of time with one another. Oftentimes the very things that we're looking for in community are five, 10, 15, 20 years down the road. And the question is, will we stay at the table long enough to be able to see it and enjoy the fruits of that kind of fidelity to each other? And the last thing as you're thinking about this next year is to say another yes to ministry. To find some way to say another yes. Not every yes. (laughs) Please, not every yes. You will burn out quickly. But another yes. Maybe it's a simple yes. Maybe it's a little yes. See, sometimes with the, the mistake that we make in thinking about ministry to all the world is that we assume that ministry must be significant. We must see some sort of fruit or results and we must do these kind of big things and we must have big impact. But Paul doesn't say do big things. He says do good things. Good things. And good things are often small. Small. Good things are often little, and the fruit of those good things is often 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road. It's often in the long faithfulness of doing simple, good things for other people. Or sometimes we make the other assumption that not just does ministry have to be significant, but we think that we have to be significant, and we don't feel like we are. We feel like That what we have to offer doesn't really matter. That what we have to offer is not good enough. That what we have to offer really won't make a difference. That our lives don't matter. But Paul says that God created us. God made us. God fashioned us. God shaped us. God created us to do good. This is God's work in us so what we do does actually matter, even if it seems small, even if it seems insignificant. The long fruit of that is actually where some of the mysterious work of the Holy Spirit takes place. So say another yes. Maybe it's a yes to a neighbor that you've just found your heart sort of going toward. Say, you know, I'm gonna say yes to just trying to be in that neighbor's life a little bit more. Maybe it's a, a yes to a specific coworker who you find Jesus is laid on your heart, and you're like, I'm just going to make an effort to reach out to that person. Maybe it's a yes to a child sponsorship thing that you've been thinking about doing for a while, and you're like, you know, I'm just gonna, so I'm gonna say yes to that. Maybe it's yes to praying for one country where there are people who don't know Jesus. That rather than trying to pray for every country, just Say, Lord, would you lay one country on my heart this year? And I want to pray for them every day or every week or every month. And I'm just going to take some time and I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna intercede. Maybe it's one friend that you know who doesn't know Jesus. I want to pray for them. Maybe it's saying yes to volunteering in one team at the church, saying yes to either a meal group or helping in kids ministry or student ministry or with welcome or set up. It's just a simple yes of saying, you know, I can do that once a month or I can do that twice a month. Maybe it's a yes to just to giving. Sarah and I have made it a commitment in our lives that we want to continually move toward generosity. So every year as we do our budget, we make it a goal to give away a higher percentage of our resources than we did the year before. And sometimes all we can do is like a tenth of a percent or a quarter of a percent. But we feel like if we do that over a long period of time, we'll be able to enter more fully into the generosity of God of continuing to say no to some things in order to say yes to saying, we're just going to give a little bit more here and see what it is that God can do with that. So I encourage you as you're thinking about this year, how can you slow down to be with Jesus? How can you stay in the community that God has already provided for you and find that staying at the table might actually cause some of the things that you're longing for to come about in that group of people? And how can you say another yes to ministry? Another yes to doing good things in the name of Jesus for other people. And as you're thinking about all of that, remember that it's actually God who's the one who's making us who we are in Christ. That These are ways that we participate in the work that God is doing but it's actually God's great work in us. He's the one who's made us one with Christ and one with each other and one in ministry to all the world. And he's the one that's helping us to actually live into that realization. This is what God has been doing from the very beginning. If you think about the very first moment that humanity is mentioned in the scriptures, it's God saying, let us make humans in our own image. God is in the business of making us human. If we think about that Old Testament reading that Randy Lynn read for us, it's God saying to his people, I am making you my people. They didn't make themselves God's people. God makes us his people. In this letter we read from Ephesians, God is making us alive in Christ. Christ. He's the one that is doing that work. He's the one who's making us and shaping us and crafting us. And these are little ways that we say yes to his work. We kind of place ourselves on the table and we say, God, make in me what you've always dreamed of making. God, would your spirit come and make of me what you've always wanted to make of me. Would you make me into the image and likeness of your son, Jesus?